both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to this episode of the Bizval Podcast with your host, The Finance Ghost. I'm doing this in person, which I never do. I mean, if you know anything about The Finance Ghost story, you'll know full well that I try to keep it anonymous for general fun reasons. But I thought I'd break my own rules today because we are sitting in a restaurant, a very, very cool restaurant in beautiful Cape Town. If you're listening to this overseas, the best time to visit Cape Town was yesterday. The second best time is right now. So get on a plane, come to Cape Town. And when you are here, bring those dollars and pounds and euros and whatever else you may have and come and check out a restaurant called Khao Yun. Now, I'm lucky enough to know the head chef here personally, which is how I managed to get through the door. Because even finance guys don't just get to walk in here whenever they want and record podcasts. It's a very, very special place. Uh, probably the most exciting new seafood restaurant probably in South Africa. I'm sure at least in Cape Town. I see a lot of people talking about it. And who best to speak to about it than the co-founder, Neil Swart, and then also... Serge Raymakers, who is the founder of Abelobi, and Abelobi is a supplier to Khalyun. So we've actually got the whole value chain here, which is really exciting, and that's why I decided to do this in person. Also, because we get to listen to some interesting chopping sounds in the background. I don't know how many of them will come through on the podcast, but if you hear any funny noises, they're on purpose, because we are in a restaurant that is preparing for tonight's service. Well, that's enough from me. Neil, Serge, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. So, Neil, you've not done a podcast before. This is my first. Wonderful. Serge, you've done... I've, a done a, I've done a few, but not in a cool setting like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, listen, I haven't even done one in a cool setting like this. So this is very exciting. So let's start with the setting. And Neil, that, that means you. Let's just talk a little bit about you, actually. I mean, you're a chef. I am. Damn okay. good one. I've eaten what you make. It's very good. So Belly of the Beast is the other restaurant that you own, which will be familiar to a lot of people listening to the show, I'm sure. But I would like to spend a couple of minutes just because I'm also fascinated by this industry. And I think a lot of people are, right? It's inspired many a movie, many a series. It is one of those glamour roles is to be a high-end chef. I'm keen to understand from you, you know, what has been the journey to get here? And is it like the movies? Um, I think I stumbled into this. Um, like a lot of chefs that I know, especially I think the ones that are getting a little bit older, most of them did something else before and kind of just stumbled into chefing at a later stage. I think nowadays it's more popular to be a chef because of the movies and all the master chef and all that. So it looks romantic and people get into it at an earlier age. I had no idea what I was going to do and just stumbled into the profession and kind of stuck. That's fascinating. So you were not at the kitchen table age five busy chopping I was, up carrots. No, I was busy eating. So I always <laughs> say uh, I grew up in the kitchen, not cooking, but just like looking for something to eat. And then uh, uh, I realized that it's probably just easier to learn how to cook. So, <laughs> yeah. Talk about understanding your customer. Exactly. Yeah? Yeah. That's, that's the key. And you're not doing this alone. You have a partner in this business. Yeah. Can you tell us about her? So Anushka, we met as students. And so we've been working together since 2011 or 2010. Um, and the relationship just grew and we grew into business partners. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. And would you do it alone? I mean, without Anushka listening, this is not a trick question, but this feels like something that you need a partner. So I had a restaurant before and Anushka actually worked there 
And uh, when we opened up Belly of the Beast, she said she actually wants to be involved. And it was a great decision. Uh, it gives you a little bit of more freedom, having somebody that you really trust. If you yeah. do it alone, a uh, restaurant, is, it's not a fun little project on the side. Mm -hmm. It is a full-time thing. So if you have a partner that you're really trusting, then you can have a little bit more time in doing life. Yeah, exactly, because this place just doesn't close. Right. It doesn't, no. We actually opened Belly of the Beast seven days a week. Uh, before we opened Khalyun, uh, because we had the staff for Khalyun ready, uh, the project was a little delayed. So everyone worked at Bailey. It was seven days a week, and that is uh, that's that's hard. No, that is intense. Serge, you're busy on boats, sustainably fishing out there, looking out into the horizon and the ocean, and living the dream. That's kind of it. Um, <laughs> first, before before I kick off, I just want to say it's really good to be here. Um, for someone like me to be in a seafood restaurant, to be talking to a chef who can cook seafood like no other, and then to do a podcast to talk about fish, like I'm in my zone, I'm in my element. Thanks for, thanks for setting this up. But yeah, I'm Serge, and um, as you said, I, I run an organization called, called Abalobi. And, and, and stumbling is potentially the, the theme of this podcast. I, I definitely stumbled into this. My background is fishery science. Um, uh, for many, many years, I spent 90% of my time studying fish, studying ecosystems, studying how fishers interact with our ecosystems. Fantastic. So I stumbled to a point. I mean, you both obviously got the background that would have led to something like this. I think it's not that different to me. I mean, I'm a CA by profession and here I am doing stuff about business. So I guess it's just a tweak on that. You know, it's a fine dining restaurant or it's sustainable fishing. Or in my case, it's more writing and podcasting these days than it is actually you know, number crunching in Excel, although I do a fair amount of that as well. And that's obviously what we tried to build in Bizval as a way to make that simpler. So a concept that I always think about is, is as you grow older in life, and this has been my own experience, and I'm keen to see if it's been yours as well. You know, you kind of learn, number one, what you're good at and, and genuinely good at. I think it's important to, you know, humility is very important, but you've also got to say to yourself sometimes, hey, like I make better food than that guy. You know, I should cook. It, it sounds stupid, but, you know, Usain Bolt runs. Or at least he used to. He didn't go and try and do the high jump or the pole vault. He figured out what he was good at. And I think the other important thing is what you enjoy. You know, and if you get your life right, then at the intersection of those two things, if you can imagine it as a Venn diagram, is what you should be doing. That is what you should be doing with your life. I mean, do you each feel like that is what you are now doing with your life? I'll go first uh, with you, Neil. The focus thing that you said is that I live by that. We often get people that ask for things that we don't do. And I'm, I've learned from, from mistakes in the past that now I can say, you know what, we do what we're good at and we focus on that and nothing else. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not going to do outside catering and stuff just because there's some money on the table. We do what we do and we focus on it. Yeah, so I agree with you. Absolutely. There's some good Cape Town street noises. I wasn't joking about being here in the restaurant. There's a nice alarm outside. Serge, what about you? Are you doing what you were born to do? I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Um, mm. You know, the, the program we've built over the last couple of years and the impact we are able to to realize in South Africa in terms of rebuilding our fisheries into driving socioeconomic development, but also reviving our oceans. Um, it's extremely inspiring. It's exciting to be working with small-scale fishers and chefs like Neil. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Yeah, no, exactly. I definitely get that vibe from both of you. So let's just talk about the concept of Khalyun. I mean, it's a fish that, that a lot of South Africans know about, but I think for those who don't, assume no knowledge like what is the concept behind the name and this particular restaurant because there's some very interesting stuff about what you've done here mm. me and Nushka has been we've been talking about a seafood restaurant for years actually and we kind of started planning it uh, pre-covid already and luckily didn't do it 
uh, yeah. the trigger on it. And after COVID, when things started go, like ramping up again, we, we felt comfortable to, to pull the trigger on it. So we were just always thinking, we get questions, where do we go for good seafood in Cape Town? And we couldn't come up with an answer to give people because there's, yeah, there's seafood restaurants that you go and you sit down and you eat salmon and you eat prawns yeah. and you eat Patagonian squid and you're looking out over the ocean and where, you know, they don't come from here, those things. So we never felt comfortable in saying, go here for good seafood. And then yes. we created it. And the name also just popped up one day. And, and as soon as we thought of it, we loved it, mm. everything about it. So it's uh, amazing how little people actually know that that is our national fish. Yes. Uh, so that's the one reason uh, the sustainability part was the other part, like Kalun was heavily overfished, which uh, Serge will be telling us more about, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, and so Kalun just made sense and we also did a little bit of research about it and, and it's a very hardy fish and mm. like it can navigate uh, difficult waters. And I think if you're in the restaurant industry, you have to have some of those characteristics yourself. So we loved the name immediately. Uh, yes, goldfish wouldn't quite work. You know, we'll leave that for the musicians. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Serge, this overfishing concept, I mean, this is your passion, right? Yeah, and absolutely. I think it's important for people to understand that because, I mean, I guess the people don't realize, they look out at the ocean and they go, geez, that's huge. You know, there are many fish in the sea, as anyone in the dating game gets told all the time, much to their depression. But uh, that's not how it works, right? I mean, fish get overfished. It gets very damaging. It's a very delicate ecological balance. And I think that is your passion. So I think it's, you know, let's run through what abalobi is. And also, it's a bit of a social enterprise, isn't it? People don't understand what that is. So I'd like to talk about that as well. All right. Let, let me unpack it a bit. Um, first of all, I want to say and I want to congratulate Neil for calling his restaurant Khalyun and to trying to make a bold step to say, hey, you know, we, we're living along the coastline, we are at the interface of this majestic Benguela current, Dagolus current coming down from, from the East Coast. We're one in, in one of the most biodiverse ecosystems in the world. And, 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 and putting out a restaurant that it's called Khalyun, which is our endemic fish, which is our, our national fish, which is symbolic to a lot of overfishing and the overfishing narrative out there. Uh, and then, you know, reimagining how people connect with seafood in this kind of place. Um, that's exactly why we set up Abalobi. Um, so so let, let, me, let me start. Um, first and foremost, I think, you know, we, we are exposed in the media, uh, in various kinds of media, to this notion that our oceans are stuffed, that everything is overfished and that we you know, potentially should be disengaging from seafood and we should be buying or eating farmed seafood or like not eat seafood at all. Um, that's where I come in. I totally, totally disagree with this. Um, hundreds and thousands of scientists and fisheries managers around this world disagree with this. 500 million people that derive a livelihood from our oceans disagree with this. Oceans, while um, in some cases, in some fisheries for some stocks, are overexploited at the same time, are also where there is the most potential. Seafood, um, ocean fish are one of the most regenerative stocks um, out there. You know, we can rebuild fisheries relatively easy. We know how to do this. And by rebuilding the fishery, we can't just rebuild the, the ocean health, but we can feed millions of people and connect restaurants like this with local, local, local fish caught offshore here. And so Abalobi is, is, is all about that. It's all about trying to reimagine our seafood and trying to find a more direct connection between um, 
uh, people eating seafood at home or people eating seafood in a restaurant or people buying seafood in, 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 at any kind of market. And, and who catches that fish? Because who catches that fish really matters if we start deconstructing broader social and economic issues in South Africa. But also, of course, if we start reimagining, you know, how do we unlock the stewardship of small-scale fishers in, in reviving our oceans. And just one last thing on this is, you know, at the beginning you said Abelobi or Serge is a supplier to, to, to Khalyun. That's not entirely correct. Abelobi is a connector between Chef Neil and the small-scale fishers who provide their catch to, to this kitchen. Okay, so Abelobi is actually a platform. It's basically a platform business. Spot on. Okay, and yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. But it's a platform business with, with, with a difference in the sense that it's not about sort of individual uh, opportunities for small-scale fishers to advertise their catch and see who bites, literally, and um, and 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 who connects with these fishers. It's about trying to create a movement of small and a collective of small-scale fishing communities along the coastline who can aggregate their premium quality, fully traceable catch and then offer that to to restaurants like this one and, and a range of other market channels. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, that's very clever. So, I mean, Neil, from your side, then the appeal is you kind of know what you're getting. You know it's been sustainably fished and you have one point of contact being Abelobi as opposed to going and trying to find all these, you know, fishermen yourself. Yeah, I mean, we can't do it without, um, I want to say, good suppliers, but search the, the supplier is actually the guy catching the fish. Yeah. But we can't do it without them. Uh, we just don't have the connections the time even to build those relationships so um, it's a great concept people love it if i serve a dish and i explain to them that this is from abelobi and explain to them what they do and they can go on our website and scan this little qr code and see where that fish comes from get actual information about who caught it and where it was caught people just go nuts for it Fantastic. So, Abelobi, you're competing with, I suppose, the, the bid corps of this world. I mean, the classic food service businesses, but obviously they don't have the, the layers that you do in terms of your strategic differentiation. Um, and maybe let's talk about that a little bit, because this is, at the end of the day, a business podcast, even though I'm getting hungrier the more I sit here. Um, you know, Chef Eska's walked in, so and she's, she's ignoring me now. I'm waving at her across the restaurant. Now she's waving back. <laughs> Getting very hungry. I've tasted her oysters and they're outstanding. Uh, let's talk about the, the strategic differentiation of Abelobi versus just other suppliers, you know, and how do you think about that? Yeah. So what, what we're trying to achieve within Abelobi is move away from any kind of greenwashing or bluewashing. We're trying to bring back authenticity in the seafood sector, transparency by you know, buyers connecting directly with the suppliers and the various elements within the supply chain, and by, 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 by offering an opportunity for people to purchase local, to purchase from fisheries uh, where fishers catch with low-impact fishing methods, to purchase from small-scale fishers who are eking out a livelihood from our oceans, but at the same time are at the front line, are the stewards of, of being able to observe and being able to engage with, with key ocean 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 challenges and 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 all of that is of course underpinned by um by our, our data framework i mentioned right at the beginning i'm a fishery scientist i'm a total fish nerd uh, data is my thing <laughs> i'm an accidental entrepreneur and this market platform is actually all about data how do we create a flywheel through this marketplace platform that allows us to 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 build up a knowledge base to build up a high resolution knowledge base around what is going on along our coastline what is actually going on along our coastline how do we think about you know the status of Khalyun or the status of yellowtail 
or any of their other species? How do we tap into the local ecological knowledge of fishers and capture that into some or canvas that into some kind of data framework that um, that can give us an idea of well, what do we do next? You know, what's the next move now that we've connected all these fishers with Chef Neil um, and we've created a bit of a of a of a direct D 2 C supply chain? How do we then start tweaking fishing effort? How do we start tweaking fisher behavior towards abundant species, towards leaving some of the stocks that are overfished alone for a while, towards better understanding, you know, what the potential is to rebuild these stocks. And that's the beauty of this ecosystem, right? I mean, Neil, you would not have this restaurant if you could not buy sustainably fished fish, for want of a better way to put it. Mm. You know, Serge, you don't have a business, even if it's got a social enterprise angle to it, if you don't have restaurants who understand the value of that and are willing to buy into the story, you know, and that's why it's so good to do this with both of you because people don't realize, I think, the entire ecosystem that is required for their particular business to exist. So I'll give you a very personal example for mine. I don't believe that if I started the finance course now in this environment with interest rates much higher and people under pressure, I'm not sure it would work. Equally, I'm not sure, or I know for a fact it wouldn't have worked maybe five years ago. There were not enough people who had the ability to access the markets and invest. So the trigger for this thing to work was easy equities taking off and now has more than a million South Africans who have a stock brokerage account just with them. And those are mostly people who wouldn't otherwise be investing directly. They would have just gone to their financial advisor and said, listen, you know, how much do I need to save every month? You decide where to put it. So without easy equities, there's no finance costs, like without a doubt. And I guess that's, that's the thing that people need to understand. It's like, what has changed that allows your business to become a thing? And I guess, Serge, for you, it's very much the, you know, the emergence of these platform businesses. I think people understand a little bit more about the value of what that means. You know, the exponential value of having more fishers on your platform and more restaurants buying from you and the data you can create in the process and neil for you i think it's also just this 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 love of fine dining actually which for me it feels like has come up a lot in the last maybe you know 10 years people have way more interest in food i think you can say thanks to tv for uh, to a large extent for that to be honest you know way more so than 20 years ago certainly so yeah it's just interesting to understand how these things all all actually work together neil what i wanted to ask you and, and we talked about it a little bit before starting the podcast but you know, a business like this, the success of a fine dining restaurant, what does it come down to? Because I'm not sure it comes down to the sort of really strong operational execution level stuff. And I don't mean the food. I mean the, you know, how many glasses are there and, you know, when last did you do a stock tech? I'll use the funny example you gave me before the show. You can share with it. You can decide whether or not to share that publicly. But, um, you know, is this very much just art and is it very different to going and buying a KFC franchise in terms of how you run the business, never mind the food? I think that this concept is it's a little different than, than at least what I was used to. I had a normal seven-day-a-week bistro neighborhood-style operation before this. And there you play policeman. You're doing stock takes every day. And it's just a fight uh, against your food cost and fight with your suppliers to get the cheapest price possible so you can have your price as low as possible. And, and that didn't work for me. And so I sat nights awake and... and like came up with this concept and what we do here i don't know if, if everyone knows is we don't have a menu so people come and they they just sit down and eat whatever we serve them and um and people seem to enjoy it i know i hate going to a menu uh, to a restaurant and having to read the menu and make tough choices uh, yeah you can just come and, and sit down and eat whatever we serve and by doing that we eliminate wastage altogether so i know tonight i've got 30 guests coming 
and we have uh, you know a snook dish on the menu I need 30 little pieces of snook and I'm gonna cook all of them and you know I'm gonna have nothing left at the end of the day where if you have a, a la carte restaurant you have to guess what people are gonna order and s stuff just sits in your fridge and gets old so I think the concept there it makes it work but in the business style uh, end of it because I know what I have to sell and or what I'm gonna sell and I don't have any wastage so I can keep very tight control of my food cost. Is that why in the restaurant industry we'll typically see stuff like you know the chef special at an a la carte restaurant is that generally speaking an attempt to kind of get something out of the fridge? <laughs> There's a bit of that going on yeah. yeah I think you must read Kitchen Confidential okay. uh, book by Anthony Bourdain and he, yes. he always said never order if this is in New York never order fish on a Monday because uh, that fish would have arrived on uh, Friday or something <laughs> like that, you know. Um, but yeah, people do, you have to have, come up with clever ways in, in using things. And we do a little bit of the same uh, because we like to use everything. So we take all the tail ends of the fish, uh, let's say, that it doesn't necessarily make a nice portion, but we'll create a sauce out of that, you know. So you have mm. to be creative and, and use every little bit to uh, make it work financially as well. And belly of the beast, similar story, but just without the fish. Yeah, it's 100% the same concept there. We just don't limit ourselves to, to fish, uh, but we do limit ourselves to the, the borders of South Africa. So we get at least all our proteins, everything yeah. is locally. Okay, fantastic. And that, yeah, that's obviously red meat. I mean, you don't serve fish there at we all. Do, right? yeah. It's always a balanced menu uh, between red meat and fish and okay. even some vegetarian stuff. Uh, people love our always loved our seafood courses there okay and uh, that also helped us along to open up a seafood restaurant got it very very cool yeah the business model is fascinating you know and obviously the wine pairing is a big part of it right at any fine dining establishment i mean that's definitely part of it but yeah it's this wonderful i love the low waste point i mean it's mm. actually like the most sustainable way imaginable it's like it's almost like hosting a dinner party every night you know how many people said yes yeah you know as opposed to a normal restaurant where as you say you just have to guess so it is it's a completely different life to have a restaurant like this i suppose uh, it's very very interesting um serge from your side the social enterprise angle that's something i just want to touch on a little bit more people don't understand what that means does that mean that you know is abalobi a for-profit companies uh like just maybe just walk us through like yeah, what does me, that mean let me unpack it a bit um abalobi is a hybrid um we're we're at at in at front facing we're we're a non-profit we we set up a non-profit as we kind of emerged from a research project that i was leading at the university of cape town and we wanted to symbolically um co-found something with the fishers we work with so my co-founders are fishers and 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 we kicked off as a non-profit because we knew that what we were trying to do um, was very different to any other kind of typical startup that raises angel investing potential seeds and then and 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 then goes from there. We knew that we you know we were disrupting a supply chain. We were um, reinventing a, a, a whole 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 a whole bunch of connections that weren't there before, and we needed to iterate a lot. Of the last five years, there's been so many versions of Abalobi as we tried to really build out that unique. Uh, opportunity that really connects these two worlds, the fishing communities and, and the market. And so non-profit was a, an ideal vehicle to kick off things with. Uh, but over the years, as we've learned better on how to balance our impact metrics, so uh, how we engage fisherwomen in the supply chain, how we look at sustainability of the ecosystem, how do we 
make sure that you know everything we do is wrapped around this data layer and this idea of building this knowledge base around our oceans. We we we've been able to weave in the social enterprise angle, been able to um, move towards much more of a commercial model that aligns the fishers in their commercial business with Avalobi with 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 the market. Um, and so we run the marketplace within a nonprofit, but we run the tech within a for profit. Um, that, uh, that allows us to scale. We're doing this in about 12 countries. I don't know if you know this. Um, no, I didn't realize so, that. Yeah. Okay. South Africa is obviously our flagship program. That's where, um, that's where we, we, you know, we've made the most progress. That's where we, we've, you know, we're the biggest. But at the same time, um, during the pandemic, um, we knew we couldn't, we couldn't travel, but our software could travel. And we were getting a lot of requests from fishing communities, fisher groups, fish cooperatives, associations around the world hearing, you know, well, or saying, hey, we, we've heard about Abalobi. We've heard about this, this, this group of, of South African tech people and scientists and fishers and chefs coming together and trying to create something different. We want to do the same. And um, so we thought, hey, this is an interesting opportunity. Let's, let's give it a go. And so for a sort of a very proudly South African software startup, in, in South Africa to, to, to have versions of our platform going in Chile, in Palau, in, in Ireland, in, in the Seychelles is, is extremely exciting. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, is that what you envisaged when you started this thing? Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's always how it goes, right? Uh, Neil, something I want to ask you about the restaurant industry. I think everyone knows how famous restaurants are for not working. Um, and obviously you've made this successful and I have no doubt it will continue to be successful. But in your view, and not a fine dining question specifically, just restaurants in general, why is this industry so difficult commercially? Why is the fail rate so high for people who open their dream restaurants and hope it's going to work out? It comes down to the romance of it. Like somehow it's got, it sounds romantic to open a, a restaurant. People have no idea what goes into it and how many hours and blood, sweat and tears goes into it. Worst thing to do is open up a restaurant with your retirement money. It's like there's easier ways to, to spend <laughs> to your money. To lose everything. Yeah, just go gamble it just instead. Go, and make it faster. At least you'll have fun doing it. <laughs> no, that sounds very bad, but it, it's like you have to grow up in this industry to really yeah. know. And some people make delicious food at home. Uh, that's a different thing. Um, yeah. I would say do something with your money that makes you more money. Maybe learn from the ghost how to invest <laughs> money. And then, and then yeah. just invite people to your house have delicious dinner parties and cook your heart out and do it all for free. Um, it, that sounds very, very harsh saying that. Uh, it is a tough business, as you yeah. know. I think the statistics show that. Um, it comes down to, again, my concept that I just think works. And that's why we're able to scale it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very tongue-in-cheek comment, you know, like just follow the finance person and that about the markets. But there is actually an underlying point there that has nothing to do with me, which is, you know, if you're thinking of investing in a restaurant and I personally think that if you are not a chef yourself, you need to be very careful. I don't know if you'd agree with that, actually. 100%, yeah. yeah. I think that's when the romance really just takes you, you know, oh, we should open a coffee shop and it'll be adorable and all our friends will come and, oh, you know, you sit there all day. No, it's hectic. You're almost better taking your money and going and buying shares in Spur, yeah. to be completely honest. You know, take the romance out of it, go and invest in a proven business that actually gets it done and uh, rather go and get the romance out somewhere else. You open yourself to an industry that's, get judged every moment of the day, yeah. which is, uh, it's fine because that's mm. what you choose to do. But if you don't know that before you open up a restaurant, like, uh, and it's a game nowadays. And like we, we have MasterChef and these things to thank for 
the growth in restaurants because people love food, as you said earlier. But it also opens up like uh, this judging game. Like yes. I watch MasterChef, so I know about food now. And yes. then you come to a restaurant and, and you know, point fingers at the guy's jus is a little bit too thin for your liking or something and go write about it on the internet. Hence the movie, The Menu, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's largely, if you haven't seen that, you need to go watch that. It's wild. Have you seen that, sir? No, I haven't. But oh, I'm I think if you watch it. The Menu, you might yeah. stop supplying this industry. Yeah. You might be a little bit scared of what might happen to you if a, if a chef goes a little bit mad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go watch it. It's great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that is the issue. And I think when investing, you've got to be super careful to take emotion out of it. That's why business is different. And, and also that always on I mean, I know the feeling. Jeez, I never intended for this to be a daily newsletter business, specifically Ghost Mail. You know, never. I started it as a weekly newsletter, basically for fun. The problem is once it's daily, it's daily. And that means if you're sick or you had a bad day or you're just generally tired and you don't feel like writing. And that's the other thing. It's not, I'm going to use an analogy that makes more sense other than when I use it here, but it's not flipping burgers. You know, (laughs) the analogy doesn't make as much sense here, clearly. But it's, it's similar here. You know, you've got to show up every day. It every takes day. one bad night. One bad night, one bad review. And, and suddenly, yeah, you're only as good as your last dish. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. It's unfortunately the ones you remember is the, is the bad ones. And yeah. I actually wanted to do, yeah, while we're on that sort of subject, like we uh, claim to be a, a local sustainable seafood restaurant, which um, I think we try as hard as we can. We have a little bit of a blanket approach, but it opens you up to criticism you know when you say we're a sustainable seafood restaurant it's very easy for people Mm. to look at every single thing you do and and point fingers where it's a little bit of a weird mind thing because if you don't say you're sustainable you can do whatever you want yeah you won't have anyone out the outside the door Um, yes no there's there's always a critic there's always someone who can and wants to do it better and then they never do it themselves and yeah it's interesting i think I don't know if you suffer from imposter syndrome, either of you, but I mean, I really do. And if you're not sure what imposter syndrome means, you're listening to this, it's, it's kind of that belief that everything you achieve is luck and you're not quite sure why it worked out and mm-hmm. you, you generally forget that it was due to you and it actually was, you know, just anyone could have done this. And a lot of humility comes from that, which I think is a good character trait to have. But it's also quite dangerous for an entrepreneur because at some point you need to recognize that actually you're doing what you're doing for a reason. It's because you're the person who did that. You know, and a lot of people shout from the sidelines, but they've never gotten in and actually gotten their hands dirty. And most people who are such critics of this have never run their own business. I think most entrepreneurs are a little bit more forgiving of other entrepreneurs because we've all been there. We've all had that day where either a dish went wrong or I made a mistake in a newsletter that went out to a whole lot of people and now I have to wear that. Serge, what's, your, uh, what's a good example of a mistake in your average day? <laughs> Give us one. I can't think of one offhand. Yeah, our platform is run by fishers, so more than half of my team are people that come from fishing communities that have very few other opportunities and are trying to find a role in this post-harvest opportunity, this marketplace platform. And so they're learning, they're learning fast, and they're championing this, but there's no doubt that um, we might miss an order or, or we might yeah. deliver uh, Neil's order at Belly of the Beast instead of Khalyun. These little things happen, and they happen when you know when there's a bit of stress, and they're, they're part of the journey. And for sure, you know, um, yeah. client is king, and we we make it work and we make it up. But uh, but that's that's definitely part of the of the journey. No, definitely. For, for me though, I think we 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 all have a responsibility to uh, use these kinds of podcasts, podcasts, and 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 kind of our voice 
to help people re really reimagine what sustainability is. You know, there are a lot of people who, 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 who have an attitude of go green or go home. Um, yeah. I'm only going to eat something that is, uh, has a, a, a certified sustainability um, tick on it or comes from a veggie patch right next door or, yeah. or, or you know, is, is part of a restaurant with they've got solar panels and a grey water system and, 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 and. And uh, for us within Abelobi, um, that's not our starting point. Um, we were realistic. We are realistic that, you know, we are working in South Africa. There are a whole bunch of economic, ecological and social challenges. And our whole motto within Abelobi is, hey, Neil, we're not about go green or go home, but hey, Neil, with what you're doing here, you can get us and help us get from red to orange to green. Yeah. Yeah, I have a question for, for Serge that a question that I often get is, I mean, on the Abelobi platform, we often see fish there that's uh, available for us to buy and, and use in the restaurant mm -hmm. that's on a red list or on an orange list. Um, but I know you, you've spoken to me about the, a full basket approach or something like that. So we'll buy a fish that's maybe on the orange or even the red list and use it in the restaurant. And then I sit with the customer that, that knows this fish is on the red list and why are you selling it? So I get difficult questions and yeah. I'd love for Serge maybe yeah. to touch on that. Oh, great. <laughs> Let's dive into that. So, so we try and connect with fishers where they are at in their journey. Seafood system is so broken that the large majority of fishers um, only have market access for those species that are concerned. Think about cob, think about Miss Lucy, think about Cape Salmon or Hilbeck. Um, that's what fishers have access to uh, or market access to when they arrive at the harbor. That's what they think the market wants. Okay? So we, we connect with them where they're at and then we work with those same small-scale fishers underpinned by the data framework to try and stimulate the market and the fishers to move towards um, uh, buying and buying consistently um, species that are have that are more abundant think about yellowtail think about carpenter silvers think about um think about Cabrim. but that doesn't happen overnight that doesn't happen overnight why because the middlemen at the harbor they're still looking for cob and hillbeck and all these other species most restaurants you know they they like working with abalobi but you know there's a cold front and and they move away very quickly to buying hake and salmon and importing something and so connecting these two worlds is all about consistency and it's all about doing that and reimagining that every day 24 hour um, uh, seven days a week having said that though um, within the abalobi platform we've connected um, our work with what is called a fisheries improvement project so how again do we put in a work plan with these small-scale fishers to shift towards ecological sustainability as well and i'm really excited to say neil that with with your support with support from many other chefs, home buyers, um, we've moved over the last five years, we've moved the fishery where um, all fishers were catching in their basket, in their catch of the day, were catching, you know, 50, 60% of their catch was on the red list. We moved it to a fishery and where 97% of what goes through the Abelobi marketplace is on the green list. That's wow. radical. That's a sort of a, a story of conservation. We, we're getting a lot of awards for this. It took the industrial troll fishery in South Africa, the Hague fishery, it took them 20 years to not even achieve half of this. Um, and so that's my point. It's about help us get from red to orange to green. And yes, in winter, when the yellowtail are not coming close to shore, 
fishers, you know, are still trying to survive. They're still trying to eke out a livelihood. It builds. It takes years for them to get out of poverty to build their own social enterprise. Yeah. Work with them and what they catch with low impact fishing methods. I'm not talking about trawlers here or longliners. I'm talking about one hook, one line, one fish. Work with them and help them shift towards towards that sustainability because they can't do it on their own. This is team effort. We're also changing the perception of the public out there. I think slowly, like. We have all the time now on our menu, Cape Bream yeah. and Silvers. Yeah. And Silver is a fish that I never tasted before I, I worked with Abalobi. And now we serve it like sashimi style and it's amazing. Mm. Uh, but people out there in the public don't know it until they eat it in the restaurant. And then when, now maybe when they come to uh, their next little visit to the harbor and see yeah. Silvers, they'll buy that. You know, it's a, I agree with you say, but it'll still be nice to have like a, maybe a two sentence because if a customer asks me that, I can't give him your answer. <laughs> yeah. now. You Just refer what, them to the podcast. What, what, like. <laughs> what you can do, though, Neil, is you can refer them to the QR code. That QR code is key. It's the window from the people sitting at your table. It's their window in what goes on in our oceans. It's their opportunity to read who, what, where, how, when, what's the story of these small-scale fishers, what's their journey, what are they doing towards sustainability, right. and how can you support that? Yeah. That's I said with the bad weather, that's why I mentioned earlier, we, we take a little bit of a blanket approach. So we mm. can't do it without good suppliers. Um, but sometimes the weather is bad and the Abalone marketplace, yeah. maybe there isn't something for us. Um, I see you've added a line of frozen fish as well, which we've, we've tried as well, which works. But uh, that's why we looked at different uh, suppliers and maybe a little bit of farmed uh, things here. And so we can't just have fish mm. on the menu. It's actually, if you eat here, actually realize it's very little just fish it's not you go from hake to salmon to snook to hake yeah uh, it's uh we do lots of shellfish and and stuff like that in between as well yes absolutely i think what i admire about the approach is you know and i have quite strong views on this this whole thing about the world there's a lot of virtue signaling out there there really is a hell of a lot you know you get very upset because this fish was on the red list and it's the middle of fishing season and there's a starving fisherman on the west coast of south africa whose kids will not eat that night unless that fisherman is getting what he can get or she can get, you yeah. know, and, and it's that whole value chain and it's difficult, you know. I mean, Serge, you want to jump in there? I do. <laughs> you got to my sort of pet topic here. Um, look, I'm a fishery scientist. I'm a conservationist. My, everything in my line of work is about trying to have a conversation with small-scale fishers about conservation. That's why I set up Abalobi. But at the same time, I've realized from the get-go that that is a journey. How do we move from A to B to C? How do we rebuild our fisheries? Species on the red lists are of concern. There's no doubt about that. We need to be very careful around those species. Uh, at the same time, that's where we have the most opportunity. That's where we have the most opportunity to connect with small-scale fishers, to support their economic empowerment, to work with a marketplace that is shifting towards green-listed species, and, and give them an alternative. That's exactly what Abalobi is. Abalobi is an alternative livelihood for small-scale fishers who for generations have been indebted to their middlemen, have been disconnected from the, from, from the market, have been focusing on one, two, three, four, four species that are now overexploited. Mm. Yeah, I think it makes a hell of a lot of sense. I mean, I wrote a column for Financial Mail, I think it was last year, caused a bit of a buzz and it was around the whole ESG thing and, and I wrote, you know, wh what happened to the S and the G and especially the S and it was specifically around investing in coal 
because there's this whole there's this great belief that we can just flick a switch you know boom and coal is gone great guys we don't need coal anymore like it's just completely unrealistic so you know by not doing any investing in coal of any kind all that happened was energy prices went through the roof and then people sit low income people sit and freeze you know so that high income people can sit there and feel hell of a good about the fact that the carbon footprint has come down slightly like we need a balance and I think what I admire about you is the balance, both of you, actually, you know. And we need to allow for that transition. Disengaging is the worst thing we can do. Yeah, 100%. Because extreme, like extreme approaches, I mean, that's the world today, right? It's politics, it's everything. Everything is extreme. For some reason, everyone is just so polarized now. I don't know if it's social media or whatever it is. But I mean, to find someone who has a balanced approach and a relatively centrist view of like, okay, if we take practical steps, things can get better. You know, you don't necessarily need to be vegan. But you could think about taking steps if you feel strongly about that. You could eat 20% less meat and then 30% less meat if that's a thing for you. It doesn't have to be extreme. And then if someone else doesn't believe what you believe, you can no longer be friends anymore. It's just a crazy world that we now live in. And I just admire the approach of actually being realistic about it. I think, you know, we're running out of time. And uh, I want to get one more word from each of you. I'm trying to think what the right question is to close off with each of you. So, Neil, I'll go with you first. Uh, what would you be doing if you were not a chef? It's hard to think about with uh, with what you're in because it's such a passion project, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's Look, the answer in and of itself, isn't it? People always ask me, so do you enjoy it? And, you, I'm like, and my answer is usually, yeah, every second day. You can't enjoy it every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, I actually don't know. If, if I didn't stumble into this uh, industry, I'd probably would have stumbled into the gutter somewhere. So yeah. I think it, it's, I'm happy where I am. No, respect. Serge, I'm not asking. Oh, I will ask you the same question, the actually. Same question. Do you have really? an answer? Okay. I've got one other one for you, though, yeah. specifically. Okay, well, look, I think the idea of being a marine biologist and, and diving and, 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 and doing a whole bunch of research from, uh, from, from research vessels that have all sorts of cool gadgets and equipment does appeal to me, at this, and that's where I come from. But at the same time, I realized very early on that that's not how we're going to solve our fishery crisis. Mm. We're going to solve our fishery crisis by working very closely with people, people in the fishery, people in the post-harvest, people in the market. So, Serge, last question for you. For other entrepreneurs who are contemplating a social enterprise, yeah. you know, and how they can kind of address a social issue in a way that is sustainable. So not relying on handouts, but building a business around that, which isn't necessarily a purely for-profit play, but, you know, manages to wash its own face. It's obviously a very complicated thing. I think it's an incredible thing what you've built. Do you welcome people contacting you to sit down and have a coffee and learn from your experience? Uh, you yeah, know, I, li I like coffee. You can also invite me to Khalyun. Yes, no, I have no doubt. There we go. <laughs> no, no, of course I do. Uh, and it's very easy to find me or my, my colleagues or our program on, on the internet, on social media. Um, and I do that and I try and play that role with, with many, many sort of startup programs in, in and around South Africa. But I think my, my, my main advice, Ghost, is um, for anyone, you know, thinking, hey, I want to get into social entrepreneurship. Um, I've actually got two pieces of advice. The first piece of advice is study the sector, study the ecosystem, get to know, embed yourself. There are a lot of people who have an idea and they kick off, but they actually have no embeddedness. They, they haven't really, you know, researched the sector. They don't know the complexity of, you know, the system. And, and, and do yourself a favor, like spend a couple of years just studying the system. And the second one is um, don't rush and, and, and experiment. Yeah, no, I like it. Guys, I think that's what we have time for. A very sincere thanks to both of you for being on the show and also just for being inspirational entrepreneurs. And I genuinely mean that. I don't say that lightly. 
I think what both of you have built is really, really impressive. I've experienced one. Um, I haven't experienced Avalobi directly, although I'm keen to check out the home buying, actually. I'll have a look at that. And I would encourage listeners to do the same. Come and visit Khalyun. Come and have an amazing meal here. Come and support a local business. Treat yourself. Uh, it's very special. This is not just food. This is art. So, Neil, Serge, thank you so much for your time. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. Cheers. Thank you.